I'll be speaking to you today out the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, actually. And the book of Daniel is extremely exciting to me. It's because Daniel chapter 3 is one of the, the texts I heard a lot as a child. Uh, and it's talking about Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and just the faith that these three gentlemen had, the faith that these three gentlemen displayed. So before I get into Daniel chapter 3, I'll lead you up to it, briefly tell you about Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2. So in Daniel chapter 1, the main characters we're talking about or the main people we're referencing is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, for those of you who do not know who Nebuchadnezzar is, he's considered the longest reigning king of Babylon. He's also known for destroying the temple of Judah, just to put you into uh, the context of who he is. He's also believed to be God's instrument of judgment on Judah for idolatry. And idolatry is a, a word we will talk about briefly today to make sure everyone understands exactly what it means. And um, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel received favor from Nebuchadnezzar because he interpreted a dream. And you say, why is interpreting a dream so important? And the reason interpreting a dream is so important is because Nebuchadnezzar made a claim. He said, I'm going to kill every single wise man astronomer, religious person, whomever it is in Babylon, I'm going to kill every single one of them if they can't interpret my dream. So actually when the guards come to kill Daniel, Daniel says, wait a second, before you kill me, let me speak to Nebuchadnezzar. And that is the first sign of faith or a miracle that was performed. And the reason I say that was a miracle, if the Sultan put out a commandment today and said, hey, I'm going to kill every Christian today, right now, and he comes to Michael Robinson and I said, hey, before the sultan does that, let me talk to him for a second. Do you think they're going to let me in to talk to him? Absolutely not. But Daniel says, let me talk to Nebuchadnezzar for a second. They bring Daniel into Nebuchadnezzar's chambers. He talks to him. He reasons with him. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, let me pray to my God and I'll come back and interpret your dream. Second miracle. The reason that's a miracle because Nebuchadnezzar never told him what the dream was. So he went and prayed to God. God revealed the dream to him, and then he interpreted it for Nebuchadnezzar. So since he was able to do that, he found huge favor in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar actually made him a chief advisor, made him responsible over many of the provinces in Babylon. Babylon. And um, also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found favor uh, as a result of Daniel in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar at this time as well. So that's chapter 1. Chapter 2. So the guards come to Daniel again. Hey, since you have all this favor with King Nebuchadnezzar, we want to give you the best food in the land. We want to give you the king's meat. He says, I don't need the king's meat. God feeds me. And the guard says, come on, this is the best meat in the land. The guard says, I'll make a deal with you. For seven days, you can eat your God's food, and I'll feed my soldiers the king's meat. At the end of the seven days, we'll see who's healthier. Of course, at the end of the seven days, David's or Daniel's way more healthier than the guards. So he says, okay, since your, since your Lord has provided for you, you no longer have to eat the king's meat. So that's another example of the Lord just really providing for David and his faith standing out. Which brings us into chapter 3, and before we get started, I'll pray. Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to this group today. Um, Lord, I just pray that, as always, I say exactly what it is you want me to say, and I pray that they receive exactly what it is you want them to receive. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I'm not going to read the entirety of chapter 3, but I re will read some of the key verses, and then we'll discuss it. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, 
and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials to the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they heralded, proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image. So what do we see here? King Nebuchadnezzar creates this huge image, this huge statue of probably himself, right? The statue is not what's important. What's important is what he's asking the people to do. He's asking the people to idolize this statue or worship this statue. So this is the first example, or not the first example, this is one example of idolatry, right? Idolatry, and we do need to talk about what is idolatry, what are idols? So that's something we hear about time and time again. I remember when I was a child, my mother would always tell me, Michael, you're idolizing this. You're idolizing that. And I just said, okay, and walked away because I never knew what she was talking about. Until many, many years later, I understood the scriptures. What is an idol? Let's talk about what some of the idols are. An idol is anything that takes your focus, your heart, your attention away from Christ. It could be something that you may think is completely pure, but if you're putting that before God, it's an idol. So what are some of the idols that we know of that exist today? The easy one, the first one, everybody talks about it. Money, right? First idol. Everybody gets that. Good, you passed the first test, right? What are some of the other idols that we talk about? Alcohol. That can become an idol. Drugs, addictions. Those become idols. You become, you come, you become so addicted to that drug, you replace God in your life. That's an easy one. What else? What are some other idol, idols? Social media, Facebook, absolutely. You will spend more time on Facebook every single day than, we, than you will studying the person who has saved your life. I'm not judging you because I do it as well sometimes, right? But it is an idol. We have to recognize that anything that's taken our heart away from Christ to where we say this is more important than God, it becomes an idol in our life, and we do need to recognize that. What else? Your job. Sometimes people put their job before the Lord. People will work 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day Furious, come home, too tired to spend time with their family and kids, stressed out, going to the doctor, taking medication because they're so stressed out from this job, right? And they're idolizing it. They're chasing whatever they're chasing, success or money, so much to where they're putting that priority before Christ or before God. What else? Church. Absolutely, church can be an idol. If you're trying to serve uh, the Lord so much to where you're trying to do all these things, to win his approval, but you've never really accepted him into your heart, that could become an idol. Absolutely. Right? Sex. Sex is intended for man and woman, a husband and wife. But sometimes we pervert that so much to where we look for sex with multiple women or same sex, right? Or different types of things or multiple men, right? Sex can become an idol. Your kids can become an idol, right? You spend so much focus on your kids' education. I want them to be a genius or the best athlete 
to where you begin to think your kids are receiving all this success because of you instead of God, right? So there's many things that become idols that can become an idol in your life. Something you never intended to be an idol can easily become an idol. And that's what uh, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to force upon the people here. And this is not a message about idolatry, so I'm going to change it, but that became an idol to those people. He wanted, he wanted the people of Babylon to bow down and worship that idol. And if they didn't, they would be sentenced to death uh, in, the, in the burning, fiery furnace. So, Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What he's saying, uh, one of the guards who's advising Nebuchadnezzar at the time, he said, the people you appointed over this province, they don't respect you. They're not bowing down. They are not serving this god. They're not serving this idol. What are you going to do about it? Verses 13 through 18. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trig, and harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The first thing he does, is he tries to invoke fear into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? That's one of the things we're going to talk about, fear. Whenever your faith is tested, fear will be present. So he tries to invoke fear into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then he tests them. What does verse 18 say? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get very excited when they hear this. All right, let's go to uh, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. What is he saying there? So I want to talk about this text briefly. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are looking death in the face. If you do not do what I'm going to, if you do not do what I tell you to do right now, I'm going to kill you. Nebuchadnezzar has power over all the land, over all the governors, over all the armies. He commands whatever authority he wants. He looks these three gentlemen in the face and says, if you do not do what I want you to do right now, I am going to kill you. And what is their response? Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. O king, not only do they stand in the face of oppression with confidence, he will deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Not only do they stand in the face of this testimony with confidence, they never lose their character. They're never disrespectful. They still give Nebuchadnezzar the respect he deserves. And they follow it at the end of verse 17. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And that's very important. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulations. And what the text is trying to show you, be confident. Be brave. Be bold because you know who your God is. You should not be afraid at that point where you're going through that trial or tribulation. Your faith and your belief in God 
should make you afraid of nothing. Oh, and by the way, when somebody's persecuting you, judging you, belittling you, gossiping about you, do not lose your character. Continue to respect them through that trial, because not only is the Lord going to judge them on what they're doing to you, but he's also going to judge you and your character on how you're behaving during that trial. So no matter what they were going through, they still respected Nebuchadnezzar. But if it not be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they made it completely known. We're not doing it. We're not bowing down. We're not afraid. We're not bowing down. I'm not going to disrespect you, but I'm not serving your God. It's not going to happen. So Nebuchadnezzar gets upset. He was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fire. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire was so hot, the guards threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. They didn't even enter the fire, but it burned them up as well because the intensity of the fire was so hot. All right? Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not just cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So what happens is when they were going through their darkest times, the most difficult trial, Nebuchadnezzar thought he had one, he looks into the fire, he doesn't see three men, he sees four. And that's another example. When you're, when you're going through your trial, if you're bold, if you're confident, if your faith upholds, if your faith upholds, to truly believe in God, he will be there with you. When you think you're going through that trial alone, you are not alone. He is there with you. So I'm not going to read the rest of the text, but I'm sure you can imagine what happens. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar commands Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out of the fire. They don't have a single burn mark on them. They don't even smell like smoke. They don't smell like fire. Nothing has happened to them. And instantly his heart has changed. He says, I believe you. I believe you and I believe your God. And whoever says anything disrespectful about this God of yours, I'll kill them. So that's actually the second miracle. They were thrown into a fire. They lived. They weren't burned. That's miracle number two. Miracle number three is a tyrant who hated them. His heart was changed, really, towards actually believing that their God is real. That's miracle number three. But the message today we're going to talk about is miracle number one. And miracle number one is faith. How did they have so much faith to where they were in that situation and they weren't afraid? Not only were they not afraid, they were bold. And the reason we're going to talk about faith today, when I started praying to the Lord about two weeks ago about uh, what to share with you all, he, he just revealed something to me that was very clear and very true. Faith is actually disappearing from the church. And I'll explain to you why I say that. Faith is disappearing from the church. And in some situations, you can say it doesn't even exist. And that's probably a very bold statement. And I'll explain to you exactly why I'm saying that. So faith. What is faith? Before I get to the biblical definition of faith, if you look at Paul, if you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you look at Noah, if you look at Jonah, faith is something they believed in so much 
They expected it to happen. Faith wasn't a prayer to them. It wasn't a hope. It was an expectation. When they asked the Lord to do something, they expected it to happen. They weren't sitting on their knees, oh, Lord, hope, I hope this happens. Please let him save me from this fire. It wasn't that. They expected it. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not bowing down to your God. And my Lord will deliver me from this. They expected that to happen. So how was their faith so strong? How did they, their faith get to the point to where they expected things and we hope for things? And I'll tell you why. Shortly, not right now. Michael Jordan. Who knows who Michael Jordan is? Please, somebody raise your hand. Great. Okay. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan considered the greatest basketball player of all time. Right? And Michael Jordan was great because no matter what the situation was, they would depend on him to win the game. It could be one, two, three seconds left on the clock. And the whole world knew if Michael Jordan gets the ball in his hands, they're going to win. They're going to win. So a reporter asked him once at the end of a game, said, Michael, were you nervous when you took that game-winning shot? He said, I've taken that shot so many times in practice. That was just another shot to me. Right? It was nothing to me. And faith. So I'm looking at faith. And this is not from a biblical sense. If you're playing a game against the Bulls, and if Michael Jordan shoots the ball, you believe he's going to make it. You expect him to make that shot. There's not a doubt in your mind that when he has that ball in his hand, he's going to miss it. So when Michael Jordan has the ball in his hand and he shoots, you say game over before it even goes in. You're only surprised when? If he misses it. That's it. You expect him to make the shot, and you're only surprised when he misses it. Steph Curry. Who's heard of Steph Curry? Oh, forgot to turn my hotspot on. That probably would, would help. I want to show you guys a brief video, 60 seconds. Yeah, I'm going to throw it over there now. Sounds not important. I'll explain to you guys what's happening. So as you can see, two seconds left in the game. Curry goes on to tie the game. This is the NBA championship, and then, of course, they eventually go on to win the championship. And what's exciting about this, a lot of pressure, a lot of people watching. He goes on to tie the game from about 30 feet away, right? Two seconds left on the clock to send the game into overtime. They eventually go on to win the championship. But what most people in the world did not see, and I'll even show you from this angle, you probably still don't see it when the shot comes up again. So he misses the first shot. He gets a second chance. Now let's zoom in a little bit. Where is Myra? Okay. Now, what do you notice in this picture? Yeah, not 
Huh? Absolutely. His eyes are closed. He hits the game-winning shot with three people in front of him with his eyes closed. This is not a hoax. This is real. So people ask, how does that happen? So if you guys know Steph Curry, he's probably the greatest shooter currently. He goes on to beat LeBron James uh, in the NBA Finals this year. He's probably the greatest shooter of our current time. So people said, Curry, how did you make this shot with your eyes closed? And what they didn't know, the day before in practice, he made 77 of those shots in a row before he missed the first one. 77 layups. I'm not going to make 77 layups in a row, right? I'm not going to make 77 free throws in a row. Not 10. All right, Michael Robinson, oh, if I make one with three people in front of me, I'm doing great. He made 77 of those in a row. So when, he, when it came time for the game, it was muscle memory. He said, I don't need to see the basket. I'm going to rely on the things I've been doing every single day to make this shot. He made the shot so many times before this, when it came to shot number 78, it was just another shot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they saw faith. They saw the Lord showing up in their lives so many times before Nebuchadnezzar. When it came to Nebuchadnezzar, that was just another person. That was just another test. Nebuchadnezzar, my God's going to deliver me out of your hands. What are you saying? Are, are you serious right now? Right? I'm not bowing down to your God, and he's going to pluck me out of your hand. Throw me into the fire. I don't care. They saw the Lord show up in their life so many times before that. When it came for King Nebuchadnezzar, it was just another day. So why? That's the end of Sports Center. It's finished for the day, right? So why was faith so strong in their life, but it's so weak in our life? Let's digest that for a second. <clears throat> so Romans chapter 10 Verse 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Just that simple. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And I'm going to test you guys. This is going to be an easy question I'm going to ask you, but it's a trick question. Where should you go to hear faith? Where do you think? The first one should be very easy. Church. If you're not hearing the word of God in church, that's the first place anybody should say, hey, I'm going to go to church to hear the word of God. Should you hear the word of God at work? Maybe, maybe not. Pubs? Maybe, maybe not. Sporting events? Maybe, maybe not. But is church the only place you should go to hear the word of God? Where else should you hear the word of God? If you're a child, where should you see faith? Your parents. If you're a parent, and your child has not woken up at 3 or 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and seeing you crying out to the Lord, you need to ask yourself why. Because I can assure you, your children are going to learn faith first, not from me, not from this kid's room, from you, from their parents. So a child, the first place they're going to see faith is from their parents. If they don't see it from their parents, that's failed test number one. So they don't develop faith there, right? Wives, where should wives see faith? Their husbands. Very simple. Husbands, you are the spiritual leader of the house. If your wife is not seeing you crying out to the Lord to work on your marriage, to help your kids, to help family members, finances, whatever it is, if your wife has not seen you crying out to the Lord to serve her, that's failed test number two. And I can go on and on. So faith is not the only place we're supposed to see 
Or see, uh, church is not the only place we're supposed to see faith. There's many other places that faith should be shown, but for whatever reason, we're either afraid of it or we don't want to spend the time with the Lord, etc. So now let's talk about faith. Faith is where the church is where non-believers should come to build their faith. The church is where beginning Christians should come to believe their faith. An example I give. Christians today, because of the devil, I'm going to say his name, because of Satan, they're afraid to share their testimonies in church, and that's where faith is built. So imagine if you came to IBCBI, and every week you heard of a person being healed. Week one, a person is healed. Week two, a person is healed. Week three, a person is healed. 52 weeks in a row, you hear of a person being healed from something. When you get sick at week 53, what do you think is going to happen to you? You're going to have faith. I've seen a person healed 52 times before this. It's not going to be a doubt in your mind that the Lord can work in your life as well. Or what if a person stood up here and they, they came up here and told, told you guys how the Lord took them from this addiction, took them from sexual immorality or drugs or alcoholism or whatever these things that people are addicted to, and they're bragging about how the Lord delivered them from that. When you start going through those same troubles in your life, you're going to have faith. If the Lord can do it for them, he can do it for me. Right? And I can just give endless and endless and endless examples. But what the devil does, he gets inside of your head. Right? The devil says, if they know that about you, they're going to judge you. If they know that you used to be like that, they're not going to want to be your friend anymore. But every single person in this room, me included, has these things, terrible things in our lives that the Lord has delivered us from, and we're ashamed about it. And you should never be ashamed about it. How can you be ashamed when something that was going to send you to send you to death, send you to hell, whatever you want to call it? How can you be ashamed when the Lord has taken that from you? Brag about it, boast about it. And the reason I'm saying brag about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, boast in the Lord, guys. That's how your faith is built. We'll brag about all these things that absolutely add zero value to eternity. People will be on Facebook bragging about their new houses and their new cars and vacations they're going on and all these different things that are great but do nothing for eternity. But when it comes to something that the Lord has done for them, how the Lord has saved their marriage from divorce or how the Lord has helped their kid pass a test or how the Lord has plucked them from some addiction they've had or how the Lord has repaired a relationship, you won't see that on Facebook. The things we should be bragging about, boasting in the Lord, we're silent about it. And the things that absolutely add zero value to eternity, we'll put that for mainstream media. That's why faith is dying in the church, because people don't see the Lord anymore. They read about him. They think he existed 2,000 years. But what is he doing for us today? And he's doing a lot for you today, but you're ashamed to tell people about it because the devil is inside of your head. And he's saying, hey, don't tell people that they're going to judge you. And one thing I'll share with you, that person who judges you, Michael Robinson gives you permission. As a Christian, once the Lord has delivered you and that testimony is evident in your life and you're sharing that with another brother or sister in Christ and that person judges you, I give you permission to look that person in the face and say, hey, the Lord's delivered me from this. I love you, but you're lost. Because that person does not have a right to judge you once the Lord has delivered you from that. And if they are judging you, trust me, they're completely lost. And they probably have so many sins and addictions inside of them that they just don't want to share that with anyone else. So, guys, do not be afraid. Once the Lord has delivered you from, from something, share that. If he's healed you, he's given you that new job, he's blessed you with these great finances, he's, he's healed your marriage, he's healed these broken relationships, 
he's torn you from addictions, whatever it is, don't, do not be ashamed of that. All right, my life is an open book. If you talk to me, something that's in the past, I'm 100% open with you guys. Not because I just want to tell you everything that's bad in my past. It's because I'm trying to give you encouragement that, hey, if the Lord can do it for me, he can do it for you. And the more and more people hear these testimonies of the great things that the Lord is doing in their life currently, their faith begins to strengthen. And they get excited and bold. And then they want to go out and tell people, look at what the Lord is doing in this person's life. So we build faith by hearing testimonies, guys, hearing the word of God. Not reading about them of people that he's impacted 2,000 years ago, but people want to hear about what the Lord has done for you. Right? So I'll be closing shortly. But one thing I do want to say is stop being ashamed, guys. The trick of the devil, the greatest trick of the devil is to make the world think that he doesn't exist and make the world think that the Lord is not real. And the devil's goal, he knows if he can bottle up all of the great things that the Lord has done. And if no one ever talks about those things, then he can he can convince the world that the Lord does not exist. Right. And that's his goal. His goal is to make you feel ashamed, make you feel hurt. But he wants you to stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar and say, I'm not afraid. And he wants you to go through that trial with confidence and he wants you to know that he will deliver you from it. But once he delivers you from it, he wants you to tell the world. He wants you to boast in him and tell the world. And I'll give an example of my son, Madden. Kids have more faith than adults. They really do. The older you get, the more afraid you get. You start thinking about, ah, maybe I shouldn't say this at work. Or maybe this person will judge me. Or maybe this will not look right, right? And I'm the same way. My son has more faith than I do. So I was talking to my son one day, and I forget exactly what he said. <clears throat> and I said, man... You're going to be a great steward for Christ one day. You're going, to preach, you're going to preach the gospel across the world. And he says, I know. Think of your sick. What you? I was just saying that to encourage him, but he says, I know. So it prompted a conversation. I said, what do you mean you know? He said, I do it now at school. They just don't believe me, Dad. I said, what do you mean? He said, I tell my friends that Jesus died and rose three days. And, and, and when they're having difficult times at school, I ask them to pray. And he tell me he's not real. I said, huh? I said, do you think he's real? They said, I know he's real because I know he's in my heart and he's in heaven. But I tell them that and they don't believe me, Dad. I said, well, Madden, as long as you know he's real, that's all that's important. And what I want you to remember is never, ever, ever stop telling them the truth. They may listen to you. They may not listen to you. But never, ever, ever stop. And when I was telling him that, I was, I was thinking it to myself. I said, gosh, I don't talk to my coworkers at work like that. I don't talk to my friends that way. I'm ashamed. I'm always looking at the best way to present information to them. And he just does it. Hey, guys, Jesus is in your heart and you need to pray right now. He doesn't he doesn't have limitations yet. And I hope he never develops the same limitations that I have. But so many times we're ashamed of Christ. We're ashamed of the person that gave his only begotten son. Died on the cross for our sins. And he's working in our lives every single day, delivering us from so many evil things. He's repairing marriages. He's repairing families. He's ridding people from addictions. He's giving people jobs, cars, houses, all these things. And you choose not to tell people about it. You're ashamed. And if people never hear about Christ, they'll never have faith. They'll never believe he's real. And the last thing I'll say before I close. So I'm always open about 
my past, right? Or anything I've done, even current times. And I was speaking to one of my friends and they're having problems in their marriage. Uh, one of the people I work with, they were having problems in their marriage. And I just start, instead of telling, I don't tell people about Christ initially, I tell them what he's done for me. I tell them about challenges I've had in my marriage with my wife and, and how we get through it and how we're always submitting to the Lord. And the person at the end of the conversation says, wow, your religion really works for you. But I don't believe in that. And I just simply said, that's fine. You don't have to believe in it. And you have two options. You can continue doing what you're doing and try to change your husband, which wives, I'm sure you know you have a very difficult time changing us men, right? You're not going to do it. And Jenny has no power to change me. If it wasn't for God, I'd probably be very stubborn, right? So women do not have the power to change men. Most of the time it's God talking to us. So I just simply told her, I said, that's fine. You don't have to believe what I'm saying. You can continue down this path, but I can assure you, I never changed because of my wife. I changed because of what the Lord has been doing in my life, right? And when you share those stories with people, they, it, it prompts them to ask more questions and more questions and more questions. Right? So, guys, that's all I want to share with you. Um, and I will say faith. Faith is a gift from the Father for those who have accepted Jesus Christ. For those of you who have not accepted Jesus Christ, don't focus on the faith. Focus on accepting Jesus Christ. You cannot receive the gifts of the Father. Faith is a gift all the blessings, those are gifts from the Father. You cannot receive the gifts of the Father by bypassing His Son. All right? So, for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ, please do not be ashamed of your faith. Please do not be ashamed of the testimonies and the things that He has delivered you from. But for those of you who have not accepted Jesus Christ, we can have a conversation on that. As usual, that's all I have. Uh, any questions, we can discuss afterwards. But let's close in prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you for the opportunity you've given me to speak today. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're just characters that demonstrate great faith. And I just, even me, Lord, my faith is very weak at times. And I just pray. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to believe uh, all the powers that you command over my life. But I just want to pray for the people in this church today to where whatever prayers they send up to you, Lord, that when you answer them, they understand, they're able to discern exactly what it is you're trying to say. I don't know if those are prayers related to finances or relationships or uh, illnesses, whatever those are, but I pray that whenever you respond to them, Lord, they're able to discern exactly what it is you're trying to say. Lord, thank you for allowing me to speak today. I pray great health and safety upon everyone in this church. And I ask these things in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.